Welcome, welcome everyone to the Fight Tides Combat Sports News Recap, I am Iggy, and today we're going to go over last week's events, uh, talk about some of the more interesting and relevant news, as well as uh, touch upon some of the fight announcements that uh, have been finalized during the week since uh, the last episode. UFC 260 took place at the UFC Apex Arena last Saturday. Uh, as always, Ed and Serenium have recorded an alternate commentary track for the event, which you can check out on our Patreon for as little as 3 bucks per month, uh, which also grants access to almost all of our Patreon content that we've uh, released over the years. Or, naturally, you can listen to the free audio-only version on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Right, at middleweight, Marc-Andre Berriot defeated Abu Azaita by TKO in the last seconds of the third round. A fairly comical sequence of events uh, led to Abu Azaita absorbing what many feel like an entire three minutes worth of unnecessary damage, where Azaita had first got clipped with clean punches, uh, got rocked with clean punches after gassing heavily after two fairly hectic rounds, uh, and uh, getting clipped led to him losing his mouthpiece, after which he bent down to retrieve the mouthpiece, like just as if he just dropped his car keys. And the referee in charge, Jared Vallejo, failed to call a stop to the action to help Azaita retrieve the mouthpiece. And naturally, Marc-Andre Barriot pounced at the opportunity, pushed Azaita over like one would push over a cow. And uh, this uh, led to Azaita being forced to absorb almost an entire round's worth of heavy damage until uh, Vallejo basically found a shred of humanity, the last remaining shred of humanity within his soul. Uh, to, and uh, then he stopped... Uh, the fight uh, with like four seconds remaining. <laughs> uh, and that was our early prelims. Only one fight. And then at featherweight we've had Omar Morales squaring up against Shane Young. Uh, Omar Morales defeated Shane Young via fairly straightforward unanimous decision. And then at light heavyweight, Michal Alexeychuk defeated Modestas Bukowskas by split decision in a respectably in a respectably action-heavy back-and-forth fight. And then at uh, welterweight, Abubakar Nurmagomedov got the best of Jared Gooden, winning by unanimous decision. The featured prelim was a light heavyweight bout between Alonzo Manifield versus Fabio Chiron. Chiron missed weight by about half a pound over the non-title fight light heavyweight limit and conceded the victory to Manifield. Uh, Manifield had apparently absorbed Ovin St. Prue's meme choke abilities and secured the victory by submission via Von Flew choke in the first round. Moving on to the main card, at uh, light heavyweight, Jamie Malarkey was able to knock out Cameron Worthy with a left hook in the first round, uh, this being Worthy's seventh knockout loss, having most recently been knocked out by Otman Azaita uh, a year ago on September 12, 2020, in the co main to UFC Fight Night Watterson vs Hill. One begins to wonder whether continuing to pursue an MMA career is even a good choice for Cameron, and indeed whether it is at all advisable from a medical standpoint. Uh, though I suppose ultimately it's only up to Cameron to decide. Next up was a women's flyweight bout between Miranda Maverick and Jillian Robertson. Maverick secured her win via unanimous decision. And then uh, the much-hyped bantamweight prospect Sean O'Malley faced the ghost of Thomas Almeida and won the fight by knockout in the last stretch of the third round. 
Given that Romali was on paper a bit of a nightmare matchup against Almeida, being long, tall and favouring long, straight blows for the most part, as well as being a southpaw, it could be argued that O'Malley didn't necessarily look all that impressive, coming off as being rather poorly conditioned even for a three-round fight, much less a five-round title belt. But uh, time will tell if O'Malley will be able to address this issue, these issues going forward. Our co-main was a welterweight fight between Vicente Luque and Tyron Woodley. Woodley came into the fight uh, reeling from a three-fight losing skit, first losing to first losing the belt to Kamara Usman, then uh, losing uh, the title fight eliminator against Gilbert Burns, and then losing finally to Colby Covington. Uh, having essentially lost 15 entire rounds in a row, uh, Tyron Woodley obviously looked to uh, alleviate his usual issue of being way too passive, basically, and uh, he looked drastically more aggressive early on. Unfortunately for Woodley, his aggression was pretty one-note, uh, throwing nothing but loopy overhands from the get-go and uh, spending massive amounts of energy in inefficient clinch exchanges along the cage. Uh, Woodley lost the fight via Dar's choke after getting countered by the razor-sharp striking of Luque, and spending mo almost an entire minute barely clinging on to consciousness, thus marking the 16th straight round Woodley has lost. A rather sad outcome, considering that Woodley looked like he was trying like he was finally trying to bring about some sort of a mental turnaround, which isn't easy when a fighter is young even, but is especially hard when you're pushing 40 and reaching the back end of your career. Lucky isn't exactly a spring chicken either, uh, having spent most of his career in exciting back-and-forth slugfests. The man with the iron chin also happens to be a magnet for opportunities where he is able to show off that quality. Nonetheless, it made for a reasonably exciting showing from both. Our main event was the heavyweight title rematch between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. Stipe Miocic was coming off a grueling trilogy with Daniel Cormier, where he managed to accrue almost an entire hour of uh, hard, immensely damaging cage time, while Ngannou had barely spent five minutes there, having finished all of his opponents in the first, uh, thus creating a headache for fight analysts worldwide with the, sheer lack, uh, with the sheer lack of data on whether he's improved or not. Short answer, yes he has. Long answer, yes he has, but Steep has also given Ngannou carte blanche to, to just try cool stuff, uh, to try to try cool stuff out on him by throwing zero meaningful volume, having been apparently stopped by Ngannou's newfound, newfound composure and ability to lead. And uh, Ngannou has shown much improved striking and much improved takedown defense with the caveat that uh, the single leg attempt from Stipe was incredibly slow and sloppy and that he's looked incredibly gun-shy from the word go. That said, all we needed from Ghana was to show that he would now trusts the process that is being instilled in him by his coaches, and that's uh, exactly what he did by mostly sticking to fundamentals, leading with the jab, using throwaway strikes to set up bigger ones, and showing that he now understands that being such a massive hitter, he doesn't really have to put 500% into every strike. For example, the way he used his throwaway lead right, which he used to set up his stepping power jab, step and power left, or left straight power jab, whichever you want to call it, 
which caused the knockdown right before the finishing sequence. He's also used long right straights to the body, uh, and even and even countered Stipe's jab with a low kick at one point. He demonstrated the ability to check hook in the second round by timing Stipe's telegraph tantery uh, on the body shot and then used it to finish Stipe uh, after the champ got too eager to hop, to hop back into the fight after countering uh, a rush from Gunner with a powerful right hand, which Gunner quickly, quickly recovered from. Not an ideal performance technique-wise, but uh, one that demonstrated uh, competency and composure. It was a mental turnaround as much as a technical one, and uh, if this new version of Ngano sticks around, we might be looking at a new era in heavyweight. Stipe set the stage for Ngano's improvement, and, and is hoping Ngano will force a divisional shift towards heavyweights learning their fundamentals and sticking to them instead of engaging in comedic slop fests where the person that lands first and the hardest wins. Who knows, maybe heavyweight will finally get good. Why is everyone laughing? What are you laughing at? What is everyone laughing at? This is good, this is a good thing that's happening. What is everyone laughing at? KFESTA took place uh, that same weekend, headlined by a long-awaited bout between Leona Petas and Takeru Shigawa, a veritable fireworks show of a fight that I highly recommend every fight fan to check out. Uh, right away, Leona demonstrated why so many people were giving him a shot at uh, beating what is arguably the world's scariest tiny person, alongside Davis and Figueredo. Uh, using lovely in and out movement, lancing Takeru up with straight uh, with straight blows and walking him onto knees. Takeru, meanwhile, used his low kicks and pressure to lure Leona into exchanges that didn't favor the taller man, where it almost became a case of be careful what you wish for. Leona buzzed Takeru in round one and then uh, ended up being dragged into a hooking exchange and almost got knocked out for his trouble. With Takeru dropping Leona in a sequence not unlike the end of the first round of Adesanya Whitaker. Leona nonetheless rallied and forced Takeru to take a knee momentarily in round two, but got dinged with a left hook again, which then spiraled into a series of uh, fast paced exchanges where Takeru was able to land the cross counter and finally put Petas out. As it is always the case with big violent fights, slapstick was abound. <laughs> Uh, first, Takeru landed a huge nut shot on Leone. It was bad enough that Pettis looked like he was about to throw up, but uh, thankfully Pettis was able to recover. And then, uh, then the ref failed to call a knockdown for Pettis after Takeru was forced to take a knee, and then he failed again to separate the fighters after Takeru forced Pettis to take a knee in turn, which then allowed Takeru to ring Leona's bell some more with vicious offense, arguably leading to the final sequence that cost Pettis the fight. Nonetheless, the fight was good enough that all this comedy isn't likely to affect anyone's enjoyment that much. Uh, it was awesome. Go watch it. Alright, uh, let's go over some of the standout, uh, some of the standout moments of the week so far. Dana White came out immediately after Ngana's victory over Stipe with his uh, usual song of professional fighter doesn't want to do his job. 
saying that uh, if he were John Jones, he'd consider moving down to middleweight because you don't want to mess with this Ngannou. And I mean, it's an old hat with Dana at this point. Uh, the man can't resist shit-talking his own employees in what I presume he thinks is a form of tough love, but uh, nonetheless it cultivates a toxic environment uh, in which fans pick up uh, on what the boss is saying and begin harassing fighters on social media. I mean, granted, uh, fans don't need much encouragement to do that anyway, but uh, then again, that is exactly my point. They don't need much encouragement. They don't need encouragement. They, they don't need encouragement. <laughs> like, full stop. Uh, Jones, John Jones' retort on social media was thus. Uh, pay me more and I'll fight however. Uh, regardless only of your feelings on John Jones personally. Uh, personally, I do not hold him in high esteem as a human being. But... But, he is correct in this case. Fighters absolutely need to be paid more, and according to him, he received only $500,000 for his last pay-per-view, which is an absurdly low amount for what is ostensibly the UFC's greatest fighter ever. I mean, regardless of whether you buy this idea or not, all I know is that fighters are paid peanuts compared to athletes from other sports. I mean... Dust, uh, Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier received 350,000 and 250,000 respectively for what is arguably the greatest fight in the UFC ever. I mean, I mean, come on. Uh, nonetheless, John Jones wouldn't be John Jones if he didn't draw, if he, if he didn't immediately do or say something baffling. And in this case, he decided to draw a line in the sand at, uh, at uh, performing a lap dance for Satan. Uh, John Jones threatened to burn all his Nikes over Lil Nas X's uh, last vi music video where the artist... Uh, where the artist performs a lap dance for Satan. Lil Nas X launched a limited edition line of uh, 666 custom shoes produced by Nike, which he calls Satan Shoes. And allegedly, the soles of the shoes contain a mixture of ink and uh, a drop of human blood. John Jones, John Jones didn't like that. Uh. <laughs> Moving on, Dan Hardy shown a light, uh, uh, shown the light on his recent job disputes with the UFC. To recap, Dan Hardy was recently relieved of all his duties at the UFC currently, and the details are yet to be made public. However. Dan Hardy alleges that this situation is the result of a simple misunderstanding, and I quote The incident on Fight Island, it was a disagreement between myself and another employee of the UFC who I feel was obstructive in helping me do my job. And I asked the person why, and I felt like I was told a falsehood, which I called them out on, and that's my side of it. I love the UFC, I always will. I'll always be a huge fan of the UFC and it's been a big part of my career and a big part of my life. I have nothing against the UFC or Dana or anything like that. Of course, if they called me up in the, and they're like, hey, parachute on a Union Jack flag. 
parachute on the Union Jack flag <laughs> for UC-261. I'd be there in a heartbeat. It's just a weird place, because I just don't know. Just kind of don't know exactly what's happened. And my concern is that Dane has got a perspective of the situation that's not true. And that's what concerns me more than anything. I could not sit octagon sight ever again as long as Dana has this misconception of who I am. Because that would really frustrate me. Uh, you can check out the rest of Dan Hardy's cope posting in his appearance on Submission Radio and the transcript of his, uh, of his side of the story. The transcript of his side of the story is available on Bloody Elbow. And next up... <laughs> Bellator released Bellator released their own pound for pound rankings the other day uh, <laughs> uh, You can check them out on Bellator's official website if you want a good laugh uh, All you need to know is that uh, Corey Anderson is ranked 10th pound for pound and this week we have a bit of a break in the UFC's relentless schedule, which is uh, rare and nice with the nearest event slated for April 10 in Vegas. And this is being... Uh, that's uh, UFC on ABC2, headlined by... Darren Till and Marvin Vittori. Oh wait, Ariel Helvani just uh, tweeted that the fight is off for whatever reason. Alright, uh, uh, fight announcement so far. Fight announcement so far. UFC 262 uh, had been mostly filled out and so far it looks like this. Main event, Chan Chandler vs Oliveira. Check out our Round Robin of Violence panel for our preview of the matchup. Uh, the co-main is Diaz vs Edwards. Uh, that is Nate Diaz vs. Leon Edwards, thus marking the first five-round co-main event in the UFC history. As well as probably an attempt to give Nate Diaz a home field advantage, so to speak, which is uh, pretty funny. Because Nate is probably going to gas and uh, get his face lacerated with elbows even worse. And he already would have gotten pieced up if this was a three-rounder. Next up, Darius vs. Ferguson. Darius is on a tear, while Ferguson is on a skid. Uh, stay tuned for a preview of this matchup. I'm sure our grappling specialists Ben Cohn and Tommy Elliott will have lots to say about this fight. Uh, then we've got Barbosa vs. Burgos. Barbosa vs. Burgos, aka uh, Feet Cater vs. Pressure Cater. Uh, then we've got Jack Hermanson versus uh, Edmund Shakbazian, both coming off losses to Vittori and Brunson respectively, one more devastating than the other. We'll see if uh, Shakbazian manages to redeem himself as a hot prospect. And then we've got uh, Araujo versus Chikagian, the old Babachuk, with uh, Araujo coming off a comically lopsided victory against Roxanne Madeferi. Uh, just poor Roxy. Then we got Andrea Lee vs. Antonina Shevchenko. Antonina Shevchenko. 
And uh, this is followed by, by Perez versus Schnell. Uh, then we got Jacare versus Muniz. Uh, I mean, it's just Jacare versus a guy with no Wikipedia page. Uh, this is just sad. Then uh, we got Pickett versus Wright. And Alvarez versus Jagos. Uh, Jagos. G I A G O S. Rafael Alves versus uh, Damiris Magulov. Got a got a honor, the time-honored tradition of marinating good Russian prospects on the prelims until they turn into the human equivalent of an expired pickle, I guess. And finally, we got Priscilla Cachoeira versus Gina Mazzani. Fuck yeah! Fucking. Fuck yeah! Let's go! And then related to UFC 262, uh, Misha Tate versus Marion Renault on July 17. Don't look at me, I don't know either. Alright, that's it for today. Check out the fight site for analytical content and our written works. Check out our Patreon for exclusive custom content like uh, resume evaluations, more fight breakdowns, uh, alternate commentary tracks and more. Almost all of our existing work becomes available at the $3 tier, while $5 gives you access um, uh, to our Discord server, where you can hang out and converse with our staff and other like-minded fight fans who appreciate the technical side of the sport in all its intricacies. We're about to approach a stretch goal of 200 patrons, after which we're going to release 5 articles and 5 commentary tracks dedicated to our top 5 best MMA fights ever. So stay tuned. Don't forget to check out our main channel for technical breakdowns and shorts, and subscribe to this channel if you'd like to see more long-form content such as this show and our discussion panels. This has been the Fight Side Combat Sports News Recap, and I'll see you next week. Peace.